Welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast, episode three. When you fail, you know, just go back, think on it, you know, reflect what you think you did wrong or what you did do wrong. And if you learn, then it wasn't that big of a failure because now the next time you know what to do, you know not to make those same mistakes and you will have a successful thing or outcome. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today we have a special guest in the building. Today, I got to interview a lifelong friend by the name of Jonathan Betancourt. In today's episode, you guys are going to hear his story about his money journey and his career journey, and hopefully, if there's anyone out there who's in the same predicament that he found himself in, maybe this will give you guys some hope. And, you know, and if it can inspire at least one person to take some risks or do whatever, then I think the interview was totally worth it, man. This runs extremely long. We had so many great things to talk about. There were so many things he said that just absolutely blew my mind. So I really hope you guys stick around and I really hope you guys enjoy this interview, but I'm not gonna steal his thunder. So let's go ahead and get straight to the interview. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. What's up with you today, man? Man, nothing much, man. Glad glad to be on here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I think it's going to be a good one. Absolutely, man. For those of you guys who do not know Jonathan, we are longtime friends. I want to say a decade plus. We met sometime in like middle school and um, we continue just to do this thing called life together, man. Bounce ideas off each other and and, you know, finances, relationships. I mean, everything. We talk about anything and everything. Best friend in the world. So it's a pleasure for me for him to come on, spend some time on the podcast, just to talk about money, life, careers, and things like that. So Jonathan, why don't you go ahead and tell the viewers about yourself, like a little bit about yourself. Where did your, you know, how was money talked about as you grew up? All right. Um, so my name is Jonathan. Um, like I said, I've been long-term friends with James for definitely over 10 plus years. Then we met in like sixth grade in middle school. Um, currently 23 years old. Um, I am currently a theater driver at UPS. So that is the uh, semi-truck driving um, at UPS. Um, but a little bit about um, how money was talked as I was growing up. Um, it was a very interesting concept. Um I grew up in a, I don't want to say a poor household, but it definitely wasn't a rich one either. Um, We definitely, uh, my parents definitely worked their butts off. They definitely did what they could to support, you know, me as their child. And um, yeah, so, so money was definitely an interesting topic in the household. Um, My dad was always the one that just liked to save, 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 just always, you know, wanted to save for a rainy day. Um, my mom definitely was on the same path, but, um, you know, 
I feel like as, you know, any marriage couple, you know, finances, I feel like are a big, big part of um, a marriage, probably. Um, I'm not married, so I can't really speak on that. Um, but just growing up, you know, I would imagine that that is something that is very big in uh, the marriage or the relationship. But um, money was very interesting. Um, my parents would always, as growing up, they would always try and, you know, they would always try and give me the things that I needed or the things that I wanted. Um, if they didn't have it, then they simply didn't have it. And they would tell me and, you know, that'd be perfectly fine. Um, I was perfectly fine no matter what, you know, I was always grateful for what they, you know, were able to, you know, give to me or, you know, provide for me. Um, but it was definitely interesting, interesting concept growing up. I mean, definitely had some hard times. Um, I'm sure as anybody else. Um, but, you know, they always just tried to pull through. They always just try and, you know, work extra or just do do things on the side um to just try and provide more you know you you always I would imagine you always want to provide a lot more for your child you know you want to give them the world you want to be able to you know see them happy and the things that they want and stuff um so they definitely tried to do that with me um and I think they succeeded um but yeah money money was very interesting um growing up and um I'll get in more into that uh, when I talk about my money story. So when when money was brought up, was it was it brought up in a negative light, a positive light, or was it somewhat neutral? Because and the reason I ask that is because a lot of people think that the wealthier rich, I mean, I'm sorry, the wealthier rich, uh, the wealthier evil. And some people, you know, want to strive to be wealthy and some people just want to be comfortable in the middle. So was it negative? Was it positive? Or was it just kind of a neutral tool that, you know, your parents instilled in you? Yeah, I'm going to say it was more of a neutral thing. Um, like I said, my parents were always on the, especially my dad, he was always on the side of, you know, always make sure you have, you know, some, some emergency money saved for a rainy day. Um, you know, I guess it depends on how extreme some people would like to take it, but, you know, you know, some people, you know, they'll just save every penny. They don't want to spend, you know, a dime or, you know, some people are more lenient and, um, you know, like they don't mind, you know, like spending money here and there, you know, they'll just, you know, make it on the back end or just save it next paycheck and stuff. Um, but, um, as far as I, I would, I would still say it's neutral. Um, my parents weren't necessarily trying to be on the wealthy side. I mean, obviously everybody's going to want more money, um, no matter what, I mean, and anybody can be comfortable, but, you know, if someone makes extra money or has extra money, you know, they're not going to see it as a bad thing. So, um, but I would definitely say my parents were more on the more uh, comfortable side, you know, they just, you know, bought a house, you know, they just wanted to, you know, pay off the house, they want to be able to, you know, have a nice car, they want to be able to go on vacations, um, you know, when they can, and just kind of, you know, retire when they get to that age, and just, you know, live a more comfortable life, you know, just stay in the house or, go you know do little trips here and there you know do trips with me or just spend time with me um so i would definitely say more on the comfortable side um as far as my family goes which it isn't a bad thing um a lot of people think that when it comes to money you know it's either you know you have to make as much money as you can you know you have to be the richest person possible you know and it's like you can be, you can make you know a, a decent amount of money and have a decent lifestyle and just, you know, have no, pro you know, have no problem being, being uh, comfortable. 
Um, you know, you don't have to make, you know, six figures, you don't have to make a million dollars, you don't have to be a millionaire, you know, you can be that, you know, person making 50, $60,000. And if you're comfortable with your lifestyle, and that's how you want to live your life, then you go ahead and do that. Um, you know, I would 100% agree with that, man. I think there, there's no, there's nothing wrong with being middle class. Like, I think that being middle class is, is everyone should strive to at least be that because when you're living in poverty, it creates its own set of issues. But also when you become ultra wealthy, it becomes its own set of issues. So I think I agree with you, man. There's nothing wrong with being in the middle, being comfortable. Yeah. And um, I'll get into it more as we go, but um like I said earlier, I, I am a semi-truck driver for UPS. And as most people probably don't know, um, semi-truck drivers, they, you know, that is a whole different lifestyle of its own. And you are for the most part, you know, 24 seven on the road. Um, so one thing that I've learned about driving is you value your time a lot more. And, um, with that being said, you know, if, for example, somebody makes, you know, $100,000, you know, truck driving, you know, I personally, if that was me, you know, I would have no problem, you know, taking a pay cut, you know, making, let's say $60,000 and having my free time back or having more time in my life back. Um, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with being a little bit more comfortable um, just because everybody when it comes to um, their day to day, or, you know, let's say you have a 95, you know, you, you get out of work out of your 95 and you still have, you know, a couple hours. What do people do? You know, they, they go home or, you know, they watch TV, they go eat, you know, they go to the gym, um, they go hang out with friends, you know, then you can come home, you can still relax, you know, unwind from the day that you just had and go to sleep and then get back up and start your next day again. Um, when it comes to driving, you know, most people, and I'll just use myself as an example, um, I'll work, you know, 12, 13, sometimes even 14 hours a day. And by the time you get home, you only really have about eight hours until you have to go back into work. So when you factor in, you know, showering, eating, and some people, you know, they don't do anything, they just go straight to bed, you know, you don't even have the you know seven or eight hours that is required for you um to sleep in order for you to you know get up and go back and you know do your next day at work so um one thing that i value a lot more as i as i go through it is my time so going back to you know being comfortable you know some people really value their time so it's okay if you don't make, you know, $100,000 or, you know, you want to be a millionaire, or you want to be super wealthy. I think it really all comes down to if you're comfortable with that lifestyle or whatever your dream lifestyle is, if that's just to be comfortable, you know, work a part-time job or, you know, work that nine to five, if you have a dream nine to five job or whatever it is, um, it's really just all up to your own individual goals and what you want out of life. And, as long as that's what you want, nobody else can take that away from you. And you shouldn't worry about what anybody else has to say about it. Absolutely. I 100% agree. So let's go ahead. Let's take it back. Let's throw it back in the day. Uh, where does your money story begin? 
Okay. So my, I would say my money story would begin probably my senior year of high school. Um, senior year of high school. Um, I was my, it was actually when I got my first credit card. Um, so that's when I started learning more about the financial world and about money in general, um, as an individual. So I got my first credit card, I'd probably say about December of what would that be 2015. Um, and you know, I had, I think maybe a $300 credit limit. I think it was with a capital one. And, um, I always looked at a credit card as, you know, that's just money that, or that's just, you know, credit that you can use and then, you know, just pay it off in the back end. You know, like I was one that never liked to use cash really. And, you know, everybody had debit cards. So just using his credit card was like, okay, you know, I can just, you know, whatever I buy, whatever I need for the week or, you know, the two weeks or whatever, I'll just, you know, pay it, you know, with my credit card. And then whenever I get my check, I was working a small part-time job at the time. Um, I'll just pay it off, you know, and it was no big deal. Um, I never really tracked it too much. I never tracked how much I spent or anything. I would just use it as long as I knew I wasn't over my credit limit. You know, I was perfectly fine. And then I would just pay it off whenever I had the money. So Um, when you say pay it off, are you meaning making the minimum payments on the car to keep the bank satisfied? Or are you talking about paying the card off in full? um, It was a little bit of both. So at first it was... um, you know, I, if I had the money, then I, I would pay it in full. Um, but if I didn't have the money, then obviously I would just pay the minimum payments and then just wait till I had a little bit extra and then I would pay it off. Um, looking back on it now, definitely wasn't the best thing as far as, um, you know, starting a, um, a, a habit because uh, that definitely turned into a bad habit later on. So, and, and when you opened up this credit card, uh, were you knowledgeable of things such as your credit score and um, your utilization, you know, how much of your available credit you're using or any of those things that come along with a credit card that are not seeing things every day? For example, you see the interest accumulating and things like that. But what about the things you don't see? Yeah, um, definitely. At first, I would say I was not paying attention to uh, most of that, I, I knew about a credit score. I knew you needed, you know, you had a credit score. Um, I just never paid attention to it uh, first starting out, you know. Um, I never paid attention to the entrance, honestly. Um, I just looked at it as, okay, as long as I'm not going over my limit, um, and as long as I make the, you know, at least the minimum payment, you know, if I had extra money, I would, you know, try and pay it off. But as long as I did the, those two things, um, I was basically content for the time being. Um, and like you said, I, I wasn't really knowledgeable. I didn't try to research or go in depth about all those other things. I just looked at it as, Hey, I have $300 in credit. So I'll just buy, you know, my day-to-day things and come, you know, the paycheck. If I had money, I would pay it in full. If not, I'd pay the minimum payments and just wait to the next week. Okay. So you have this credit card and you're using it. I'm going to say you're using it in a neutral way. You're not, like you said, you're not going over your limit. You're, you're paying it off frequently. Um, what comes next? So um, that basically goes on for a couple of months. Um, I believe in July of 2016, uh, we graduate. And um, the day that we graduate, I get a call from UPS. And they say, hey, Jonathan, um, 
we're hiring for part-time positions inside the warehouse for, you know, package handler. Um, would you be interested? And at the time, I didn't really have much of a plan. You know, we just graduated, you know, was, we're very glad about that. But um, I was basically just, you know, taking a second and just trying to see what, where I wanted to go with life. Just take a little break, you know, finally graduated high school, you know, want to take, you know, a break for like a month or two and just see what I wanted to do. Um, cause I did have a lot of options. Um, but the day I graduated, UPS gave me a call and I said, well, you know what, you know, this is, you know, I feel like this, this was meant to be, you know, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity for myself. So let me check it out. So, um, I ended up getting hired by UPS. I ended up working in the warehouse as a package handler, which are the people that load or unload the trailers. Um, so I ended up being a loader, um, for the day shift. So the day shift was from about, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning until about three or four in the afternoon. Um, so I started with UPS. I started doing that. And um, I heard about, um, you know, I, I was thinking about joining the military at the time. I was like, you know, maybe, you know, let me see how UPS is. Um, but, you know, if it's not something that I want to do, then, you know, I was considering joining the military. And while I was at UPS, I was informed that, hey, um, if you do want to join the military, if you work at UPS for a whole year, then you can leave, you know, go to the military and they'll keep your seniority. Um, so they'll basically keep my job and I'll be progressing as if I was still at UPS. So I'd still be getting my years every, you know, every year that I work there and um, still get the raises and everything. But, you know, I can still join the military. And then once I'm finished with, you know, my term or whenever I feel like, you know, being done with the military, then I can come back to UPS and they'll hold my job for me. So I can come back. I'll have my job. You know, I would have my seniority. And um, that was definitely the option that I was going to take. So I said, well, if I was, you know, planning on joining the military anyways, then what's, you know, one year at UPS, you know, to hold that job. So at least, you know, at the very least, if I was to get out of the military, then I can just go back to UPS. So um, I ended up working there for a whole year um, and close to the, uh, the ending of that first year, um, I was informed by some people, some coworkers that I worked with that, um, you know, they asked me, they're like, Hey, like, you know, what, what do you want to do at UPS? Cause you know, you definitely don't want to be a, uh, you know, warehouse guy the rest of your life. Um, and for those that don't know about the warehouse life in UPS or any, any warehouse job in general, when it comes to, you know, dealing with deliveries and packages, um, it is pretty tough. Um, you know, especially working days, especially in the summer, you know, the, the trucks can, you know, get, you know, north of, you know, 110, 120 degrees, um, super, super rough conditions. Um, I didn't mind it. I basically looked at it as getting paid to work out. Um, cause I did lose a lot of weight. Um, and it was pretty healthy. Um, you know, so I felt like I was just getting paid to work out, but you know, it does put a lot of stress on your body. And especially as you put more years onto it, um, it can definitely deteriorate your body pretty quickly. So, um, Towards the end of my first year, um, a coworker of mine just said, hey, like, you know, what do you want to do? Um, what, what, are your, what are your plans at UPS? And I told him, I said, you know, I, I want to join the military probably after my first year just so I can keep my seniority. And he said, well, have you ever thought about going driving? And um, I was like, I, I wouldn't want to drive, you know, the brown cars, you know, the people that deliver every day. I, I don't know if I would want to do that. And he said, well, why don't you try doing feeder? And um I said, well, what is that? And he's like, well, so semi trucks, you know, you'd be, you know, driving the trailers that were loading and, um, you know, they make pretty good money and they make really good money. And, um, 
you know, that's probably one of the best jobs here. You know, you just have to wait until you turn 21. So I believe at the time I was 19. Um, he said, so you just have to turn 21 um, in order to drive. But um, I think it's really worth it. And that's what my coworker was working towards. You know, he said, you know, within the next year, I want to go, you know, feeder. Um, so I said, you know what, let me do some research. Let me, you know, let me just check it out. And um, that is probably the best decision that I made was to actually just do research and look it up. Um, Cause most people I would, I would assume, you know, when somebody tells you, you know, Hey, why, why don't you, you know, think about this or why don't you try this? Or, you know, you know, they, they give you some advice or give you some ideas. Um, a lot of people would just take it at face value and not really, you know, look further into it. And um, at the time I was somebody that never thought that I would be driving semi trucks. I mean, the smallest truck or the smallest vehicle I've driven at this time was a Honda civic. And, you know, I've never thought of myself even being in like a pickup truck or, you know, anything pretty big. I always like small cars. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, I could be in this, you know, gigantic, you know, 18 wheeler was, you know, it was unfathomable. Like I, I just couldn't see myself doing it, but I took the time to, you know, do the research, you know, just look into it, look at the pay, look at the hours. Um, and it really is one of the better jobs at UPS. When you look it up, a lot of people say, you know, this is one of the best jobs at UPS. This is what a lot of people work towards. You know, they, they dedicate, you know, 10, 15, 20 years to try and get into that position. So, um, so I'd like to just go back for one second. So when you got this pack package handling job, uh, what kind of money were you making at the time? Yeah. So at the time, I believe it was $10 an hour. Um, and like I said, it was part-time, so we would get on average about 25 to maybe 30 hours at most. Um, and that's for the majority of the year. Once it got to, you know, holiday season, which they refer to as peak season, um, which starts right after black Friday up until I'd probably say a week or two after new year's, um, the hours would kick up a lot. So you were able to do double, you know, double shifts. Um, so you can, you can, I think when I was working in the building, I was getting peak season time around 40 to 45 hours. Um, but for the majority of the year, you know, the, the remaining, you know, two or I'm sorry, 10 months, um, you know, you'd probably get about 25 hours. So on average, I'd be making about a 200 to maybe $250 paycheck. Okay. So you're 19 and you go to UPS, you're making $10 an hour, you realize that going into this, you realize this is not the long-term goal. This isn't where I'm going to be forever, but this is what I'm going to do right now until I figure out that long-term goal. And then as you're working there, you get more information from coworkers that tell you, look, in two years, you're not eligible for this portion of the job. And at that time, you're able to shift your mindset from now being in kind of idling, idling by just trying to figure out what you want to do and what options you have at this dead end job to get to the job that you re you're really interested in and you're really, you really think you want to pursue. And in that time, you said that you shifted your mindset and instead of going into work and just with your head held down, realizing you're not going to be here forever and you're just here for the moment, but you shift your mindset to the positive. Like, look, I'm going into work. I'm getting exercise. I'm staying active. My foot is in the door to where I want to be. 
and, and you shift that to a positive. So I just want to point that out is like, I think that is uh, people who are successful in life always manage to shift their crappy situations and figure out the positives because that's what keeps you going every day. You know, when you wake up and you don't want to go to that crappy job uh, and, and, and the job sucks, you, you've said it multiple times, the job, it's not an easy job. But when you look, you can look at the positive and you see every single day you're going in, it's getting you closer and closer to your goals, then it gives you a reason to go in the work. And so I just want to point that out that, you know, you're turning a a, a, a dead end job to a, a potential future. Yeah. And going going back to that, I think it is um, like you said, it you a lot of people can go into their job or wake up one morning and you know, they hate their job or they don't like it or they don't want to go in. They don't want to work. You know, they don't like that job. Um, but a lot of people can't get out of that situation. Um, it is really just about mindset. At least in my situation, it was just about mindset. Um, you know, like I said, most people, you know, when when somebody says, you know, hey, why don't you, you know, think about, you know, trying this position or, you know, think about doing this. You know, a lot of people just won't give it too much thought. And um you know, being in, at least in that environment, you know, you're just, you know, taking a package from the belt, you're putting it in a trailer, you know, you have a lot of time to think, um, think, you know, just with yourself, just, you know, in your thoughts, you know, and I think that is super, super underrated, which I don't think a lot of people um, realize is just having time to yourself, just thinking or thinking out loud or just talking to yourself, you really, look at a lot of things differently or you really start to open up um so while i'm in these trailers you know just loading packages you know i'm just thinking and i'm just like you know what like i was here planning to just you know after my year go to the military and just you know once i finish come back but you know what about semi trucks you know like you know he brought that up you know he says it's one of the best jobs he's working towards it you know and as i do a little bit more research i you know i realize that a lot of people are saying the same thing so it's like you know maybe maybe i should try and do this you know maybe you know i definitely don't want to be here the rest of my life you know i don't want to be you know loading in a truck the rest of my life you know so you know why not try and do that and you know you start to weigh your options a little bit so my mind state in that time once i found that out and did a little bit of research was you know i can go into the military you know do four years you know and if i didn't want to do any more i can come back out and you know go back to ups or you know maybe whatever you know job i get in the military you know we'll you know go back into the civilian world um but then i'm thinking you know what i i turned 21 in two years so why don't i just wait two more years just, you know, stick through this job, you know, it, it, it is a little bit rough, you know, you, you, your body starts to feel it. Um, but, you know, I can withstand another two years and just wait and see where I want to go with this. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you know, the military is still there, the military is not going to go away. Um, so that was my mindset going into it was I was starting to shift to, you know, you know what, I, I do have these options. Um, so let me try and just, you know, use them. Let me, let me try and weigh them out. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, maybe the theater driving job is the more viable option for me. So yeah, I ended up sticking through it. Um, so yeah, so I basically, you know, just grinded out until I was 21. Um, and at the time, the way it works at UPS is 
you have to sign a list. So you have to wait for the list to come out um, to go driving and you sign the list. And then depending on the seniority, you know, however many people they want to call up for driving, then they give you a call. So the first time I got a call and they said, Hey, would you be interested in, you know, driving? I said, yes. So um, you have to go through this lengthy process. You know, you have to um, get your, get your drivers. Uh, you have to get your, your permit. You have to get your CDL permit. And um, I'm sorry, before you go any further, what year are we in right now that you get your first call? Um, I would assume maybe 2019 because you graduated 2016 at 18 and you worked there. Um, two years would be around 2018 to 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, it must it must have been. Yeah. 2019. Um, so, yeah, 2019, I get a call and they say, hey, um, would you be interested in a feeder position? And said yes. So at the time, um, there was a lot going on between our HR and um, UPS in general. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of companies have, you know, pretty bad HRs or, you know, they're not the best. Um, so they call me up and, you know, they say, hey, you know, you have to get your CDL permit. And I said, okay, I wasn't aware that I had to have that before. Um, before I started and they said, yes. So, um, if you can have it done as soon as possible so we can get you into the next class. So I said, okay, no problem. Then, um, that was probably on a Monday or Tuesday. And then I get a call that Thursday and they say, Hey, um, you don't have your CDL permit yet. Um, you have to have this done by Friday. And I say, well, I was told that, you know, it, I was told to have it as soon as possible, but I wasn't told a deadline. And I, you know, spe specifically asked, do, is there a deadline for me to have this done by? And they said, no, just have it as soon as possible. So there were a lot of conflicting things with our HR. And um, for, those, for those of you that don't know, it is um, a pretty lengthy CDL permit test. Um, and for UPS, you have to have other qualifications. You have to have other um, add-ons. So not only are you trying to get your CDL permit, but you also have to get different endorsements in order to drive or operate certain pieces of equipment. So um, there was no way I was going to get it done in two, you know, two days. Um, in, and you even have to schedule, you know, with the DMV to get, you know, the CDL permit test. There was no way I was going to have it done. So I said, look, I'm not going to be able to get this done by Friday. Um, am I going to have more time or am I just going to have to wait for the next round? And ultimately they said, you have to wait for the next round. So I was pretty bummed out. Um, and personally it wasn't, you know, it, you could say it was my fault. Um, and, you know, I can take responsibility for that. You know, I, I didn't realize that you needed to have a CDL permit um, before going into it, but um, they didn't say anything on the paperwork that I signed. So it was kind of both ways, but, you know, I should have done more research and just, you know, found out or, you know, ask other drivers, you know, hey, what do you need? How's the process like? Um, so I can definitely put that one on me. So I was a little bummed out. Um, so I had to wait at least six months. Um, they The list comes out about every six months, depending on how many drivers they need. So I basically had to wait. Um, and at this point, you know, this was something that I waited two years for. And, you know, this someone's very looking forward to, and now I have to wait an extra, at least an extra six months. So my mindset at the time was very, um, 
it, it, I, w- I don't want to say it was in a bad place, but it was definitely down. You know, it was definitely a little bit down, um, a little bummed out. Um, but you know what? I was like, you know what? It's not the end all be all. It's not that I'll never get it. I just have to wait an extra six months um, at the very least. So I tried to, you know, just turn that into a positive. I was like, you know what? Six more months. You know, I waited two years. Uh, what's what's six more months? You know, and for for a job that can be, you know, what they say is the best job and what is a very good career, you know, two and a half years compared to, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, however long I want to work. Um, it's nothing. So I just I try to turn it into a positive and just say, you know what, six more months isn't going to kill me. So I basically this just touches. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to I want to emphasize these things. Like what you guys are hearing is delayed gratification, which we talk about so much on this podcast. It's putting in the work, putting in the drive and the, uh, dealing with the undesirable up front in order to secure a better future. Just like he just said, he waited two years and he he missed his shot. Some of the responsibility he's taking on and some of the responsibility was also on his leadership that failed him. It's so easy to just miss your shot and completely give up. But flipping it and realizing, like, why am I doing this? Because I want to be a certain spot. You know, it's, it's a whole mindset shift and it's it's a continuous, you know, it's a reoccurring thing where you take the bad and you turn it into the good and you don't turn into a victim and say, these people did this to me. So I'm the victim. Instead, you say, okay, it did not work out. What do I have to do going forward for it to work out? I just want to point that I don't want to skip over this because this is, these are traits that being sick, if you want to be successful in life, it you, it's not just about building wealth. It's about being successful with your family, with your life, with your kids, all of that, these, these traits manifest in all of those things. So I just want to point that out, but I'm, I'm sorry, you can continue. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I basically just, you know, said, you know, what's six more months. So I basically just try and grind out six more months. Um, and eventually come, you know, 2020 hits and, you know, you know, COVID happens. So, you know, everything's on lockdown. Um, you know, nobody can really go out a lot of stores and businesses close. So during that time, you know, since, you know, local businesses are closed, you can't go anywhere. Um, everybody started ordering stuff online. So delivery took a really big spike and, um, it was a very big grind. Um, in the warehouse. I mean, they're, they're cranking things out, you know, they're trying to get things out as quick as they can. Um, cause we're overloaded. We don't have enough workers, you know, we weren't prepared for that. So, um, at this time, you know, it was a very, very rough patch because now we are getting, you know, twice at the very least twice as much uh, workload. And, um, it's very hard to keep up with. So, um, you know, just being back in the building, you know, just going through that, you know, it's like, man, this is, this is pretty tough. Um, but you know what, you got to stick through it. You got to stick through it. Like you said, delayed gratification, you know, you know, hopefully my time will come and, you know, I won't miss out on the opportunity this time. So, um, what I did during, I'd probably say the next, um, probably three or four months after that, um, what I, I was expecting the list to come out and, um, 
prior to that, I had a coworker, which is the same one that told me about the job. Um, he was already in theater. So he made it into theater during this time. And, um, you know, I, I talked to him every now and then because now he has a completely different schedule. He's working crazy hours. Um, so when I had the chance to talk to him, I was asking him, like, hey, how do you liking it? How is it? You know, he's like, hey, it's a big transition, but it is 100% worth it. Um, so then I asked him again, I'm like, Hey, like, what should I be doing now while I'm waiting for the theater list to come out? Um, cause the first time, you know, I didn't do a, a, too much research into that extent of the process and everything. So I'm like, what do I need to do now? And he says, Hey man, just start learning everything you need to right now. Like start preparing for your CDL, you know, your permit, start learning all the questions, learning all, all, all the knowledge and everything. Um, just learn as much as you can. So that way, when you go in, you're completely focused on learning how to drive. You don't have to worry about verbiage. You don't have to worry about you know any terms or anything. You just need to worry about driving, driving, and driving, just practicing driving. And I said, so okay. let, let's touch on that just for one second. I don't want you to skip over that because that is super duper important. What you did was you looked around to your network and you found people or a person that was in the spot you wanted to be and you reached out and, and, and they were more than willing to give you the advice and stuff. Here's the thing, guys, there's a saying that your network is your net worth. So the people you hang around with, the people you associate yourself with are who you become. So if you become, if you hang out with people who don't have much drive people who are lazy or have bad characteristics, that is who you become sooner or later. So looking, you always want to be associating yourself or getting in the circle of people that are where you want to be. And this is a prime example of that. He found someone who actually went through the process recently, had all the inside knowledge, and and that's who he took his advice from. He didn't take his advice from Joe Schmo in the truck that's still loading boxes, because if you take your advice from Joe Schmo that's in the truck loading boxes, that's where you're going to end up. You want to always model yourself and follow in the footsteps of people who are in the place that you want to be. And this is a prime example of that, finding someone who went through the process and taking the advice from them. Anyone who is successful, they are always willing to look back and reach out their hand and grab other people. It's just it because the same persona that makes you successful is the same persona that's going to keep you humble enough to help other people replicate your success, which is what this podcast is about. It's about now I'm on the path to wealth. I'm on the path to financial peace and financial independence. So now it, it's, it's an obligation of mine to turn around and reach out my hand and grab you guys and pull you guys along and teach you everything that was taught to me by someone else. And so that's exactly what's demonstrated right here. Yeah. And touching up on that, it, it, it really is when it comes to your networking and the people you surround yourself with, it is very, very important. Um, going back to what I said, you know, this was a guy that he's the one that told me, you know, he was in my position. We were both loading packages in a truck and he's the one that brought the idea to me. So now he's in that position and he's able to give me a little bit of advice as somebody that's brand new. Um, and when it comes to the financial world or when it comes to anything in general, I think it is a lot more relatable. And I believe you said this on your first episode of your podcast, that it is a lot more relatable to the guy 
that has two or three houses versus the guy that has 600. So it, it it's a lot more relatable in my situation for the guy that just started driving, you know, just got into that position and he's still learning the ropes and he's still learning as he goes versus the guy that's been driving for 30 plus years. Um, it makes it more relatable because they are more, cl they're closer to your situation, um, at least to your current situation. But I feel like it also, um, not necessarily brings a peace of mind, but it also, you know, like you can kind of understand the emotions or it, it it puts you a little bit at ease um, to like him telling me, you know, like, hey, it, it is a big transition, but, you know, and I'm still going through the transition, but I think it is 100 percent worth it hearing that, you know, me not knowing what I'm really getting myself into. Um, it's a bit of a relief because he was in my same position. You know, we were both doing the same thing. So if he, if he's able to do that transition and, you know, he's able to go through it and he thinks it's worth it, then, you know, it puts my mind a little bit at ease that if he can do it, I can do it. Um, and a, a lot of my coworkers at the time, um, you know, I even told them about it and they're like, you know what, you know, that might be a good option. So a lot of us, um, at least the close coworkers, the close people that I was working with day to day, um, you know, we were all thinking about it and we were all trying to make, you know, that jump and trying to get into it. And um, currently, I'd probably say about four of my coworkers that I worked with in the building were now all drivers. So, you know, it even even if you're not surrounding yourself with those people that you aspire to be, um, at least surround yourself with the people that have same goals in mind. Um, because you guys can work off one another, like me and my coworkers, you know, we would talk about it, you know, here and there, and we were learning a little bit more because everybody's doing their individual research. Everybody's thinking, everybody has different thoughts. So, you know, two minds are better than one. Um, you know, th there are a lot of things that other people can think of that you would never think of, or you just haven't thought of yet. Um, so when you surround yourself with those people that you know, want to become successful or, you know, have the same goals in line with you, you learn a lot, you learn a lot more emotionally and mentally, you know, it puts you in a better state. It's a more reassuring. Um, and then also having those people that you can talk to that are in your, you know, the position that you want to be, you know, they can give you the advice that you need to know. Um, and it helps you tenfold. Um, all those, all those coworkers, even the driver, you know, that, that just, you know, made it into driving those people, if it wasn't for them, if it weren't for them, I don't think I would have been driving at all. Um, I don't think I would have made it. I don't think I would have thought about it. Um, and my life could be in an entirely different situation than what it is now. So I have a question for you. Um, do you, so you stated earlier that you, you know, you have a bunch of friends that are in the warehouse doing the same job as you when you're in the warehouse. And spoiler alert, obviously, you have the job that you're aspiring to now. So podcast over. No, but you said out of all of those friends, four of you guys are now drivers. So how do you feel about because, you know, there's there's a stigma going around that when people grow and people change, it has this negative connotation to it, to where like when someone finds success and they don't do the same things that they used to do, that it's seen as a negative from from those who did not um, grow with the person. So do you do you feel bad 
at any point, you know, kind of outgrowing the people who are still in the same position that they were at the time? And like, if so, how do you reconcile with that? Because a lot of people don't want to change. You don't want to find success and change because from the outside looking in, you know, it, it can be seen as you being fake or you being, you know, all these negative things, but really you're just growing and you're outgrowing people. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you, how you dealt with that emotionally or how you deal with that emotionally and how you feel about it and honesty? Yeah. Um, Honestly, I would say that um, it's not my place to judge um, if I and I still have people that are still in the warehouse today that are the people that I, were, I was working with when I first started. And um, these are people that have been here there already for, you know, 10 plus years, 15 plus years. Um, so they're kind of used to it. Um, so, you know, they don't really see a benefit in transitioning into driving you know they 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 like their part-time job they make pretty decent money because you get raises every year so um everybody has like i said before everybody has that different version of what their ideal life is or what they're just comfortable with and um i feel like the older people that i used to work with um they're just comfortable in the position that they're at you know they they might want little things here and there changed but overall they're fine in that position and um, I don't treat them any differently. I don't talk to them any differently. I still see them, you know, almost day to day whenever I'm, you know, leaving work, they're coming into work. Um, and, you know, we just talk as, as if we were the same old people from, you know, back in the hub, um, you know, the same people that, that we were all loading trailer, trailers together. Um, you know, we, they obviously ask me, you know, how's driving and, you know, how is everything? And, you know, I tell them. And, um, you know, the, the good thing, the good thing to have in you know friends or coworkers are people that really want to see the best in you or the best for you um so a lot of the people that i associate myself with you know they're they're happy you know they're genuinely happy to see me grow they 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 love seeing this young man you know that was in the warehouse now you know in one of one of the better positions at ups you know becoming a driver um this is a job that um like i said before people what you know back in the day you know you know five ten years ago they had to wait 10 15 20 years to get into and i managed to get into it you know five years into my job um or at least my, my work life at ups so it is a big accomplishment like you know young people in this position you don't see that often if at all so all the people that that are still in the building you know they look at that and they just say look like and they tell me all the time like dude like we're like we're actually proud of you like it's crazy to see like you come you know such a long way and you know it's good to hear that because these are people that they actually you know they actually mean that um and i know they do um so i think it would just it, it really goes down to you know do those people really care for you or do they want to see you grow? Um, you know, some people will say that like, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, you, you got you, you got this nice job or, or, you know, whatever, you know, you're growing in life. But, you know, they don't really feel that way. They're just saying it just to say it. And you can kind of see what their actions. Um, so it just really depends on the people that you're actually associating yourself with. 
And um, for me, looking back at them, you know, like I said, you know, those people, they're just comfortable. You know, some people don't see the, the reason to, to transition into this job. Some people like literally can't do it. You know, some people are, you know, too afraid, you know, like I can't, I can't drive something that big, you know, or, you know, there are some people that might have medical issues that prevent them from doing it. Um, so everybody's situation is different and it's not my place to judge them just because I'm in, you know, a better, you know, actual job position than they are. Um, it's, it's not my place to judge. So, you know, I, I care for those people just as much as they care for me. So if they're comfortable and they're happy, you know, doing that job or living their life like that, then, you know, more power to them, you know, and if I, they were to ever reach out to you and say, you know what, Jonathan, I really want to get into, you know, driving the semis for UPS. I want the increased income and, you know, I'm willing to make the sacrifices with the longer hours and things like that. Is there anything you would not do for those people? Like, let's be honest. Oh, I, I would do everything for them. And not only them, I do it for people that I don't even know. Um, I have people, random people that work in the building that, you know, they just ask random questions like, hey, like, like, how, how's driving? You know, how is it? What's the process? What's the, what are things like? And I tell them everything. If I have the time to do it, I, I have no problem telling them. Um, it is such a good job that, you know, especially with COVID and everything, you know, we, we spiked up in numbers. We started hiring like crazy. Um, so any chance that I got, you know, if somebody said, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I, I might want to go drive in, in the near future or, you know, oh, that's something I might be interested in. I tell them everything. I'm like, look, man, the pay's good. The hours are great. You know, you'll be working a lot, but you'll make good money. I think it's way better than being in the building. Um, you know, if you want to know the process, you know, this is what, you know, these, these are, you know, the, the, the baselines are the main things you have to focus on or worry about. Um, so I tell everybody, whether it's somebody I do know or I don't know, um, you know, it, it's somebody did that to me. You know, it was a coworker that just randomly threw that out to me. And it was up to me to actually, you know, go go about that and actually do the research or look into it. And that's the reason why I'm in the position I'm in today. So, you know, sometimes it really just takes that one thought or that one piece of advice or option that somebody just randomly gives you that you have to act on it. If I didn't act on it, if I didn't do the research, I would have been, you know, my first year at UPS would have went to the military and then, you know, came out and God knows where I would have been. But, you know, I took that information that somebody gave me and it was something that I thought I could do and something that, you know, was a viable option to me. But and, I mean, but you really just, you just kind of hit the, the point that I was trying to make. You kind of just fucking hit it out of the park home run because the point I was trying to make is like, we are not in competition with each other. Like people who are successful, we're not in competition with each other. We're either. all running the same race on different tracks. Yeah. So, you know, there's not this thing to where if a new driver comes in and now they start winning, they're taking money out of your pocket. Like, no, that that's not the world we live in. Like wealth is created. It's not traded. So uh, yeah. uh, Jeff Bezos, he had this great quote that uh, someone asked him about his shares in Amazon. And essentially what he said was, look, Amazon is a trillion dollar company. Of that trillion, I own $160 billion worth of Amazon. What does that mean? That means that he has created $840 billion worth of wealth for other people. 
that's the point I was trying to make. And I'm telling you, you just completely knocked it out of the park by like, we're not in competition. Just because you're bringing someone up, that doesn't make them competition to you. So if you have that mindset to where, you know, it's a killer be killed and you're always in defense mode and you're always trying to, you know, uh, hold on to the security you have, like really step, step out of it. Like you're not paying that person's paycheck. You know, you're not, they're, they're not taking money out of your pocket. You're making their life better. And in turn, that makes your life better. So it's just, it's great that you say that because that is a, a trait that I think more people should have. And, you know, they say a rising tide raises all ships. And I'm a firm believer in that. Like we can all, there's enough wealth in this world that we can all be successful. Whether you're a business owner, whether you're an employee, whatever it is, there, there's enough to go around. We just have to take the wealth that God gives us and, you know, do right by it. And to, to build on that a little bit more, um, I think that also goes hand in hand with your network. Um, you know, when, when you have, you know, other people that you want to see the best in them and you want them to grow, you all want to grow together. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same job, you know, like I know a lot of drivers, um, and you know, they, they're really, really close to me and, you know, they, they want the best for me. We want the best for each other. And, you know, we all grow, but I know plenty of people. I, I know people that are lawyers. I know people that are in law school to become lawyers. I know people that are pilots. I know a lot of different people that are all just friends that we all want the same financial goals. We all want to, you know, be financially free. We all want to, you know, build wealth. And, um, you know, we, we all give each other, each other little tips and tricks that, you know, help each other. And, you know, we, we all benefit from it and, um, you know, that builds your network. So, you know, in, in, in the future, if I need a lawyer in this certain, you know, type of law, you know, I have these people that I can go to and it all starts out from just people that, you know, they were just friends. And, you know, we talked about our goals. We talked about what we wanted in life and we all want the best for each other because we act, we truly care about each other. And that just continues to grow and grow and grow. And you build off of that. So um, just a little side side note for me, like in, in the near future, I want to get a pilot, a pilot license. I want to be able to learn how to fly a plane. So I have a buddy that is now a pilot. So I want to be able to ask him in the future, like, hey, you know, how would I go about that? You know, he he went through the training. He has a good school. So, you know, maybe, you know, I can learn more about that or maybe I can learn, you know, how how long does it take? You know, how many hours do you need? Um, but so Jonathan, now- if you become a pilot, you're going to take his job. Why would he want to help you become a pilot? Yeah. And, and the good thing about that is, um, you know, I don't have to fly a pilot commercial. I don't have to fly it as a job. You know, that that is something that I would use for personal use. And um, that's something that I've been looking a lot more into lately. Um, that is a, a extremely good benefit is having a pilot license. Um, so him, you know, that's his job. That's what he likes to do. Um but just because I want to do something like that as well, you know, just to get the pilot license doesn't necessarily mean that I have to take his job. Um, and he obviously loves it because that's what he does and that's what he's worked hard for. So he's somebody that is super passionate into it. So I know that he will give me all the good advice, all the great advice on how to go about the right way. And that will benefit me. And, you know, these are things that a lot of people don't realize they look at the now they look at the people that you know 
oh, he's now a pilot, you know, like he's going to forget about us or he's going to treat us different because, you know, he, he, he's in that different position. But it's like, you know, if you truly have those people that care about you, then they're going to want to help you out. You know, if, if you have a question, no, no question is a dumb question. And that is something that I've learned, especially going up into driving. Everybody says the same thing. No question is a dumb question. You ask it, if you don't know it, ask it. Somebody will be able to give you an answer and you will now have the knowledge that you didn't know before. So I would rather ask a million questions that might seem dumb, but there were things that I didn't know before that I now know. And knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have, the better you're able to make of a situation or go about a situation. That's absolutely brilliant. So let's get back on track a little bit. So um, Harper gives you this information and you end up securing the job. Uh, what comes next? Yeah, so um, I get the job. Um, I go through about two weeks of training, um, get my CDL license. Now I officially have the job. So now at this point, um, I'm officially a theater driver. I'm officially driving trucks. Um, so as my coworker stated before, um, you know, it was a big transition um, getting used to the hours, getting used to the shift, getting used to driving such a big piece of equipment, learning all the routes and everything, um, was a pretty big jump. Um, probably one of the biggest transitions I've ever made in my life. Um, but as time goes on and as, as it went on, um, you get used to things. Um, you know, you, you just learn as you go and the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And now it is such a routine to where, you know, I, I can do it, you know, with my eyes closed, not, not that I would want to drive with my eyes closed, but, um, it's, it's just such a routine. It's just embedded into my mind. It's muscle memory. Um, so now I'm at a point where, um, you know, I'm making really, really good money. Um, you know, I have this career, got good benefits and everything. Um, without getting too deep into it, I just want to, uh, emphasize the, so you went from, um, making $10 an hour in the warehouse, working, let's just say 25 to 30 hours a week for uh, three to four years to what? Okay. So now I am making $34 an hour and the hours range from about 50, 45, 50 to about 60 hours a week. So you essentially, because you put in four hours, I'm sorry, four years worth of work in an undesirable job, you've now over tripled your income. And although you're working more hours, what has that done to your financial position? Like how, how was that transition with tripling your income? The, the transition was really, really huge. Um, so one thing that I didn't state before was um, I did have a car loan at the time. I did, I did have a car that I financed. Um, going through this time, uh, as I transitioned into this job, um, you know, I learned a lot more about credit. I learned a lot, a lot more about, you know, debt and, and finances and stuff. So um, when I got the job and I started getting these paychecks, I, at first I'm looking at it and I'm just like, holy crap, like this is a lot of money. Like I'm, I'm now making more a week than I was making in over a month in the hub. Um, so it is a huge, huge difference and I'm forever blessed and thankful for it. But um, yeah, going into that transition, um, you know, that was when I started to take my finances a lot more serious. 
um, because now you have all this extra money coming in and, um, you know, you don't want it to go to waste. You, you don't, you don't. One, one thing that I think a lot of people, once they get to that point, will realize is that once you go from making nothing or having nothing to, you know, being able to have stuff and, you know, just, you know, making a lot of money or you're now having stuff, you never want to go back to that point before. You never want to, you know, start at the bottom, make it to the top and go back to the bottom. That is a, a truly scary thought. Um, and I still think that till this day, I still think that like, man, I never want to go back to the point where I was making, you know, $10 an hour in the hub. I never want to go back to, you know, making those paychecks, you know, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and stuff. So, um, I always keep that in the back of my mind, not because I'm scared, but, um, more so, more so as a reassurance, just more so as like, you know, that is the reason why I'm, you know, so, you know, trying to be so strict in my finances, trying to invest money, you know, trying to become wealthy is that, you know, you never want to go back to that low point in your life. Um, so you always want to, you know, do the best to, you know, stray from that or stay away from there. Um, so when I'm seeing these paychecks come in, I'm just like, man, this is crazy. I need to, I need to do something with this. Um, so I started saving a little bit. Um, I started, you know, paying off my car a little bit more um, here and there, just trying to make extra payments and stuff. Um, at this point, I have no debt on my credit cards. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, but now I'm looking more into, you know, credit scores, you know, how to build it up and, you know, trying to, you know, credit score is a very, very big thing. So, you know, you can't get loans, you can't get car loans, house loans, you know, whatever. So um, I'm trying to, you know, build up my credit a little bit more. So, you know, there are a lot of things that I, that I was doing in that period of time, but um, ultimately what I started to do was, you know, save some money. I didn't have any debt on my credit cards. I had a car loan, um, just pay extra here and there. Um, and basically I was just saving money. I was just saving, saving, saving. There was nothing for me to really spend. Um, like I said, I, I'm working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. So I didn't really have much time to myself or to do anything, you know, by, by the time my weekend hit, you know, I'm so exhausted from the week, you know, I just want to relax, rest. I might go out here and there, but, um, I was just, you know, I don't have to go out, you know, just, you know, the fact that I didn't have a lot of time just meant that that was less time for me to spend money. Um, cause everybody knows, you know, when, when you go out and you're at the mall or, you know, you're at a town center, you're eat, you know, you want to go out to eat or, you know, you go to an event or something, you know, you're going to, you're going to spend money. You're going to want to spend money, um, whether you want to or not. Um, so less time for me meant less time to spend more money. So it was just extra money that I was saving. Um, and then I got to a point where, you know, I had a lot of money saved up and I'm just like, you know what, like, I want to be able to do something with this. Um, so what I started to do was um, talking to a lot of people at UPS, people that have been there for a little bit longer than me. And, you know, just said, you know, hey, where are you guys putting your money at? Um, and, you know, a lot of people would tell me they were just like, you know, hey, like, you know, we're putting in the stock market, you know, we're just investing in stocks or, um, you know, a lot of people have rental properties doing real estate and stuff. Um, and the cool thing about money is that, you know, or investing in general is that you can invest wherever you want to invest. Um, so if you want to invest in a business or start up a business or a side hustle, you can do that. If you want to invest in stocks, you can do that. If you want to invest in index funds, real estate, whatever, you know, you can do that. It's, it's your decision where you want to put your money. So 
with that, you have a lot of options to where you want to do it. Um, so for me, the the best thing to do at the time was not leave it in a savings account because you know you're making 0.02 you know percent on interest. So the first thing I started to do was you know look into the stock market, and um, this is where um, research comes you know very very big. And I think not just in the stock market but in all terms of investing is you have to do the research. You have to know what you're investing in. You have to know, you know, where your money's going. Um, because, you know, I think the saying goes, you know, like the something worse than, you know, investing or not investing at all is investing in something you don't know nothing about. Um, so you definitely have to do the research on what you're going to invest in. So for me, it was just learning the stock market in general. I knew about stocks. Um, you know, I, I bought little shares here and there when Robin Hood was first announced and it came out, you know, just bought little things here and there, but I never really took it serious. I was just like, you know what, you know, just, oh, you know, investing in stocks, blah, 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 you know, just, you know, everybody's doing it. Um, and, um, you know, that's not the way to go about it. You know, you, you want to be able to do the research, you know, know what you're investing in, know all the terms, know, know the stock market in general. So, um, all the free time that I had in the beginning, I would just, you know, research, you know, watch YouTube videos, um, watch a lot of videos, um, you know, for a few months, you know, up to a year and, you know, really learned a lot about, you know, investing in the stock market. And, um, that's where I would put my money. Cause you know, I can invest my money, leave it in there. I know that, you know, it's going to make a return or, you know, if you have growth stocks that, you know, the company's going to grow and you're going to make money off those share, the shares that you have. Um, and that was something that at the time was more a passive thing that I can do that, you know, would be making my, my, my money would be making more money while I was at work and while, you know, I can continue going about my job. So I just want to go back for one second and touch on something that you brought up. Um, and that is investing in something you don't understand. And that is a big reason why people like athletes, actors, actresses, and people who come into wealth relatively quickly, that's where they lose their money. Because everybody's got that Uncle Joe who, you know, is a financial uh, advisor. And you think you can just give your Uncle Joe the money and then he's going to be double it, triple it, he's going to flip it. And it's such a big misconception because when you seek financial advice, whether it's from a financial advisor or whatever it is, it's your money. You need to know where your money is going and how it is growing. If you don't, then you're mismanaging the money. It's not your job to relinquish control of your money to someone else and then blame them when either the investment does poorly or if you lose it all. So I just want to touch on that that it goes for everybody. Like even the wealthiest of the wealthy have advisors in their corner. And the advisor is not to tell you where to put your money. It's to advise you. Basically, it's their job to convince you that you need to put your money here. And because you have control over it, like it's, it's your money. And so as soon as you give up control of your money and you start putting the blame on other people on making bad investments and stuff like that, that's where you start losing control of your, your, your wealth. 
So I just want to point on that. It's a super, super important point. And I'm so glad you brought it up that you need to know what your money is doing. You need to know why it's growing. And that's just something you need to know. You cannot rely on other people, even this podcast. You know, we might say on this podcast, I invest here, or I invest there. That doesn't mean you should just go blindly invest there. You still need to do your own research. You need to understand, like, why does James invest here? And I, I try and do a good job explaining why and things like that. I have podcasts covering what I invest in and why I do it. But that goes for anybody. So I just want to, that's a super duper important point. I just wanted to touch on, I didn't want it to go unnoticed. But, yeah, uh, and to to touch up on that a little bit more um also with that you know you want to know where your money's going how's it growing and stuff but it also has to do with what your goals are because when you're investing you still have goals you know maybe you know you want an investment with a return of 10% but the place where you're investing right now may only be giving you 7%. So if your goal is to be at 10%, maybe if you shift your money from let's say the stock market into real estate, maybe you can get that extra 3% to get to the goal that you want. So knowledge about you know where your money's going and also keeping track of it is I think very very important because regardless of what it is, you know, lifestyle, you know, job, investing, whatever it may be, you still have goals in each one of those aspects. So you want to be able to make sure that you're getting to that goal or at least progressing to that goal. So definitely, you know, keeping track of it, you know, because if your money, if you, if you want 10% and it's doing seven and maybe it drops to six, Maybe, it, you know, you might want to look at, you know, another option. Maybe you want to transfer it somewhere else. So that way, you know, you're at least progressing to that goal you want to be at. And it's also being realistic because like you have to realize just because you want something like if you want that 10 percent, like you have to be realistic about it. If you have two financial advisors and they're both showing you like, OK, I can get you six percent investing in this. And you have another one saying, I can get you 10% investing in this. On face value, many people will just go with the 10%. They're a financial advisor, and this is what they say. But if they're investing in speculatory things or things that have no track record of doing what they projected to do, you know, you're perceiving more risk there. So you have to be um, realistic. And that's why I always relate it back to cryptocurrency. I don't invest in cryptocurrency personally. Um, I think it is a, it's a speculation for the most part. And a lot of times you'll see these quick reels or quick TikToks saying, oh, this one is going to quadruple in the next five days or whatever. And it's all speculation. And so you have to be realistic and with everything you invest in. Otherwise, when you take on unperceived risk, if you don't understand the risk that come with what you're investing in, if you don't understand like, okay, just like this thing can go up a thousand percent, it can also drop to zero. Like if you don't perceive that risk, then you don't know enough about the investment to make the investment. So all yeah. it's always about being super realistic, looking at the data subjectively and interpreting it how it should be interpreted yeah i think your risk management is a very very big part and just because you're investing money you know if if you consider it investments doesn't mean that you can't lose money everything has the potential to lose money um it just 
is the risk greater or you know is the reward greater than the risk so like i said yeah everything everything's going to have a risk everything might have the potential to drop um you know so yeah like you said you know you could probably get that 10%, but it might be more risky. So would you rather just stay with the 6% knowing that it is a little bit more safe and, you know, you're, you're not going to have to worry, you know, the next day or, you know, a week later you check on it and it's dropped, you know, a ton. And now, you know, you're out of money or you lost money. So um, I think it really just goes back to what your goals are. You know, some people would like that lower return that has little to no risk and there's no problem with it just slowly going. And I mean, it's not a race, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a sprint to see, you know, who can make the money the fastest. It's just really, you know, it really is a marathon. You, you want that money to just continue to build, you know, it may not be as fast as you want. It may be, you know, it may be whatever, but at the end of the day, as long as your money is growing, then that reward is always going to be better than the risk. Exactly. And I mean, on this podcast, you're you're not going to hear me say anything about investing in the next big thing, because it's just not something I believe in. Some people do. And it, if they are, I, I look at the past. And even though they say the past does not indicate future performance, the past performance is all we have. That's all they do. We cannot predict what's going to happen in the future. We cannot predict what Bitcoin is going to do, what I can look at the last 40 years of Apple and I can make an educated guess that hopefully in the next 40 years, they will do the same or better, but I know that they can do worse. And that's why I'm I'm just a super passive. I'll take my 7%, 8%, 9% a year over the next 40 years. And because that's, that's what investing is to me. It's about the long term. But I want to go ahead and shift the conversation a little bit, Jonathan. So you're talking about um, saving more of your money, investing more of your money, trying not to inflate your lifestyle. So can you touch on maybe some of your short term goals, like things that you want to financially accomplish within the next six months to a year? Yeah. So um, right now I'm just I'm still investing. I'm still, you know, investing in in, in the market. Um still doing a little bit of things here and there, saving money and whatnot. Um, my ideal goal within the next probably six months to a year is to uh, start transitioning and investing into real estate. Um, I plan on buying a house here pretty soon. Um, you know, the, the good thing, like I said, is that you have a lot of options um, when it comes to that. So, you know, some people, they can, you know, they'll, they'll buy a house, live in it for a year, then they can, you know, rent it out and buy another one. Some people, you know, they might just flat out buy, you know, an investment property as a rental. Some people can do, you know, flips, wholesale, you know, what have you. Um, so there well, are a lot of, while we're on that, can you go ahead and explain to people like, what is, what is an investment property? Yeah. So, I mean, an investment property can be, um, many different things. Um, I think the one that a lot of people associated with are rentals. So um, obviously you, you would buy a property um, with the intent of renting it out. Um, your mortgage will be lower than what you're going to rent it out for. So you would be making what is called cash flow on the property, which is the difference. Um, obviously you have to take into account, you know, maintenance, vacancy, if you have a property manager and stuff like that. But um, at the end of the day, your net your, your net will be, you know, your net cash, cash flow will be, you know, positive from 
all the other expenses that you have. Yeah, it's essentially just you're you're making a profit on the property after all of the expenses of the property is is an investment property. Yeah. Um, and then you you mentioned a flip or a wholesale. Can you just give like quick definitions and examples of each of those? Yeah. So um, a flip would be somebody that buys a house for you know a pretty pretty good price. And um, they will, you know, renovate the property, you know, put a little bit of money into it, renovate it, and then they'll sell it again for a, a profit. Um, so essentially, you're just you're flipping the house, you're buying it, you're going to renovate it, sell it back, you know, put it back on the market, sell it, and then you take, you know, all that cash, you know, the profit that you made, and then you go do another one. Um, some people like to do that. Um, that is definitely a more active um, approach of real estate. Um, but what some people like to say is that you make a lot more money um, in that time frame. Some people, you know, they can do a flip within a couple months and you can make, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000. Um, just really depends on the deal that you have um, and how much you're willing to put into it and what you think you're going to get out of it, which is all, you know, stuff you have to do research on, you need to be knowledgeable of. But um, yeah, so that is definitely the more active one. And then another active one would also be wholesaling. So, um, Wholesaling is, is very, uh, very controversial. Um, a lot of people like it. Some people don't. Um, it's in a weird state right now. But essentially what wholesaling is, is um, you basically go and you, let's say you find a property. So let's say I'm a wholesaler and um, I find a house and, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little rough, you know, you know, grass needs to be cut probably, you know, needs a new roof or, you know, needs some updating. And, um, you know, I go and I talk to the, to the homeowner and I say, Hey, like, you know, I, I'd be, I'd be interested in, you know, purchasing your house. Um, let's say, you know, I'll offer $70,000 for it. And, um, let's say, okay, you know, they agree to it. So, you know, you write up a contract for, you know, 70 grand, um, you know, you do your due diligence, you know, you look at, you know, how much you think it would cost to repair it and whatnot, you know, how much you think it'll sell for. Um, so now you have it under contract and let's say, you know, you, you want to, you find a cash buyer, you find somebody that wants, you know, a rental property or somebody that's flipping and you say, Hey, I have this property under contract for 70,000. Um, it needs this much work. You know, it could potentially sell for, you know, 150,000. Um, I'll sell it to you for 80. Um, so then, you know, that cash buyer, they'll buy the house or, you know, they'll, 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 um, they'll take you up on your contract. They're basically, they're, they're purchasing the right to your contract. So if you have the contract with the homeowner and you want $80,000, then essentially the cash buyer is going to pay $10,000 to now have the right to buy that property. So um, let's say, you know, they, they do that, you know, you, you get um, that, you know, they, they, they purchase it for $80,000 and they go and they end up buying the home. Well, now they now just bought the home for, $70,000, they paid you $10,000 for the contract for the right to buy the home. And now that cash buyer now has the property so they can do what they want, whether they want to flip it, you know, renovate it and flip it, or if they want to, you know, renovate it and just turn it into a rental property. And you walk away, the wholesaler walks away with 10 grand. Um, so that is a very, um, I'd say like an entry level, if you don't have a lot of money to start off with, that um, a lot of people would do to get into real estate. And um, the thing I like about wholesaling is that the biggest part of wholesaling or the biggest part of real estate is identifying a good deal. 
Um, it is basically the equivalent of if somebody pulls up in a Lamborghini and they say, Hey, I want to sell this Lamborghini for $20,000. You know, your average person will look at a Lamborghini and think, Oh, well, you know, that is a great deal. You know, like a Lamborghini for $20,000, you know, it's in pretty good condition. It has, you know, low miles. That is a steal. So you buy that Lamborghini for $20,000 and then you go and you sell it to the dealership or, or somebody that wants a Lamborghini for, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, just the fact that you knew that that Lamborghini was a good deal, you know, it was worth a lot more than what the person was asking for, then, you know, that's where you're going to make your money on the back end when you, when you sell it. Yeah. And I think that's the controversial portion of wholesaling is essentially, um, I guess the moral compass is, you know, that the property is worth more than what you're purchasing it for. But I guess the thing people don't take into account is the fact that it's not just a dollar amount. It's also who has the time to fix up a property, who has the money to fix up a property. So what you're losing in money, you're gaining in peace of mind and simplicity. So I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole of wholesaling, but I do want to say like some people may have a negative connotation about the the practice itself, but um, there are many, many, many people who do it the right way. And there are people who do it the wrong way. So you just have to fish through uh, which, which is, which is correct. So you talked about um, your short-term goals, purchasing a house, getting into diversifying by getting into maybe rentals, maybe flipping, or even wholesaling. But let's talk about some of your long-term goals. Like I always talk about delayed gratification on this podcast. We're planting the best time to plant a seed for a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So what are some things that you're doing today? What are some seeds you're planting today that you that are going to help you reach your goals within the next, let's say, 5, 10, even 20 years? Yeah, so definitely um, my my end goal um, would like to be to, you know, either full time real estate, whether it's, you know, active flipping or um, or doing rental properties. Um, I definitely want to transition into real estate. Um, That is, in my opinion, the best way to build wealth. And um, it will probably be be more on a passive um, aspect. So I'll probably be going more into rentals the older I go or the further I get into my journey. But um, one thing that I've learned about driving at UPS is, or driving in general, I should say, is, um, you know, time, I value my time a lot more. Um, would I be okay doing this job for, you know, until I retire, you know, next 20, 25 years, whatever, then retire? I can absolutely do that. I can, you know, drive for the next, you know, 14 years and, and retire at, you know, you know, 40 and be able to retire. Um, do I want to do that? Absolutely not. Um, you know, it's a great job and, and, and what have you, but, you know, working 60, sometimes even 70 hours a week, um, you know, that is a lot, a lot of hours. Um, so I definitely value my time a lot more. I want to be able to, you know, have a family, start a family, grow a family, you know, be able to travel whenever I want to be able to just, you know, have that freedom of time. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people can relate to, you know, you don't really, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. So losing my time now, you know, I definitely want to make it up on the back end. So basically, um, 
I want to transition. I want to buy a lot more rental properties. I want to build a portfolio, um, you know, still invest in the stock market, still, you know, have different type of investments, maybe, you know, start up businesses or invest in businesses and whatnot. Um, but I definitely want to get to the point where in the next five to 10 years, I can, you know, be done with my job, you know, be able to have that freedom of time and basically work for myself. Um, just like anything else, you know, like the, the best place you can invest in is yourself, whether it's, you know, knowledge, um, you know, working for yourself or what have you, um, you know, if you have that grind and that motivation, which most wealthy people have, you know, they all work for themselves. They all have, you know, empires or businesses that they've, you know, built and they work for themselves. And um, I feel like that is for the most part when it comes to wealthy people, um, the mindset that you kind of have to have, you don't want to work for somebody else. You want to work for, or you don't want to work for anybody else. You want to work for yourself. So, um, that's where I want to be. That's basically the finish line for me. Um, so that way I can have that time to do what I want. Um, and you know, I can still invest. I can still, you know, do active things, but it'll be on my timing. And, um, you know, I can actively, you know, choose what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, so definitely my long-term goal for financing would be to just continue to invest. Like, like, like you said, it is delayed gratification. It is sacrificing now. So that way you don't have to sacrifice in the future, you know, live like no one else now. So you, you can live like no one else in the future. Um, so that is such a great saying, like I, I end every show by, and it's just a corny saying that I came up with, but it rings true every time. It's like, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. And the day you cannot perform for an employer, most employers are, they're going to let you go because at the end of the day, they're, they're in business to make a profit, to make money They're if they're not a charity. And so once you can no longer perform, that's when things can get rocky. And so the other half of that saying is spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. And that's exactly what you're talking about, investing. So that way, one day when you can no longer drive a truck or you can no longer perform for someone and have gainful employment, you now have things that are performing for you, whether it's a rental property or if you own parts of Apple and Apple is performing for you and things like that. So that was just, that was a great I, I can really relate to what you're saying. What people don't see are the the people that are, you know, sacrificing now. You don't see them, you know, they don't take pictures on, you know, vacations or they don't go on vacations or, you know, they're not actively, you know, living that lifestyle now. Most of them are, you know, just straight grinding work. They're just putting in the hours at work. They're saving the money. They're paying the debts off. They're trying to, you know, aggressively invest. Um, you don't see none of that work happening um, until that person reaches the goal that they want to be. So in 5, 10, 15 years, when that person now has the freedom to, you know, go on vacations whenever they want, they post it, they post it on social media and what whatnot, you see, you know, the big house that they have, the nice cars that they have, all the things that they're investing in. Um, you know, people a lot of don't people don't see the journey. What they see is the byproduct of the journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot, I think that's where a lot of people, you know, become envious and they become jealous, or that's where the negative connotation comes into play is, um, you see those things on the back end and you just like, wow, like, you know, 
you know, like that, that guy has money or, you know, you know, he, you, you, you now associate that person with the wealthy people that everybody hates, but you don't see the grind that they did to get there. Man, that is a great segue into the ending of the show. Um, these are four questions that I like to ask every guest just to get inside your mindset to, you know, see what you're thinking about. And so the first question is, um, everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. And many people call it different things, such as financial peace, financial independence, um, reti- reaching retirement. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to have financial peace? I think financial peace uh, is a lot of things. Um and it all makes up the one big picture, which is in itself what it means is peace. You know, you want to have peace of mind. Um, so financial peace is not having to worry about the bills, um, knowing that you'll you will have money no matter what, whether it's a rainy day, whether you want to take a vacation, whether you want to, you know, go on vacation and spend, you know, a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. You don't have to worry. You know, you don't have to look at the price tag and say, oh, that's a lot of money. I have, you know, I have to, you know rethink if I want to buy that or not. It's like, look, if you really want that, you know, you can buy it. Um, it's also, you know, having the freedom of time, you know, you, you can go and do whatever you want when you want and not have to worry about anything. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, that, that are, you know, you know, parents, you know, that have families, single moms, single dads, whatever, you know, what have you, you know, you want to be there for your kids. Um, you know, you, you don't want to miss when they have soccer practice, you don't want to miss, you know, when they have a piano recital or, or what have you, you want to be there for your kid. Um, you want to be able to provide for your kid, you know, what, you know, if your kid wants something and, you know, you think they deserve it, then, you know, you want to be able to get it for them and not having to worry. Um, make sure that your kids have a good life. Um, you know, it's, it's not just financial wealth, it's building generational wealth. You know, I want to be able to be wealthy to the point where my kids' kids don't have to worry about money. And, um, and I think, you know, that also goes to the negative connotation when you look at, you know, these wealthy, wealthy people, when you look at their rich kids, you know, these kids have a whole bunch of money and, you know, they're buying Lambos or what have you. It's like, oh, you know, they are just using daddy's money. It's like, yeah, but daddy sacrificed a great deal of his life to make sure that his kids never have to worry about money. Um, so I want to be able to do that for my kids. I want to be able to get to the point where it's, you know, my kids, my kids, kids, my kids, 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 you know, they're able to, you know, not have to worry about that, but also at the same time, you know, learn the value of money just because they didn't have to actively work for it doesn't mean that they can just go and waste it. You know, they, they should be able to, you know, I, I want to be able to teach them the responsibility that comes with money and what comes with these things. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll be able to, you know, learn that, live by that and pass it on to their kids. You know, it's great you bring that up because I, I'm i a firm believer that building wealth is not that complicated. It's not that hard. It's just a bunch of math. But teaching someone to maintain their wealth is the real struggle. So you can build wealth for your kids. And if you do not teach them to preserve that wealth, then it's not going to mean anything. And so I, I would I would argue with most people to say, like, building wealth is the easy part, keeping it in your family, educating them and keeping them up, you know, to the point where they, 
you know, maintain the wealth and they don't just burn it is, is the harder stuff. And when you can spend your life instilling those values in your children, it's going to carry over to not only their finances, but it's also going to carry over to their marriage and their children when they raise their children and things like that. Yeah. Going on. um, If there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and they have no clue where to get started, what would you tell them? Um, there are a couple things I would, I would, I would tell them. Um, the first thing is obviously knowledge. Um, do your research. Um, like you said, the, the, the wealth building process is not that complicated, but you do need to know what you're doing or steps that you need to take, um, in order to get there. So, um, definitely, you know, do the research, you know, we have these podcasts, we have YouTube, we have the internet, you know, you, with our phones, you literally can just search something in less than a second and you will get answers. Um, so you definitely need to know what you're, what you want to do. And for, I, I would actually say even before that, you know, what, what are your goals? You know, you want to build wealth, but how, how wealthy do you want to be? What, what exactly are your financial goals? Um, and then you can build off of there. But um, I would say that with that being said um you just have to do it you just have to start um everybody has fears of something um and honestly once you do it it is not as bad as what you make it seem um a lot of people are afraid of you know they're afraid of rejection or they're afraid of you know they're just scared to do something you know you have that anxiety you know you you overthink it um, a lot of things and myself included, I, I have, you know, I've been like that as well. Um, but once you actually just face your fear and just start and you just do it, most of the time, it is not as bad as you, as you thought it was. Um, and it's with anything. Um, so definitely just don't be afraid. Um, it's okay to be afraid, but, you know, face your fear, get past that fear and just start, do that thing that you're scared of. And not only will it not be as bad as you think, it'll probably be one of the best decisions you've ever made. Um, going back to me, you know, driving, I drove a Civic before I started driving. That was the smallest car I'd driven. I never, never imagined myself driving an 18-wheeler truck with a 53-foot trailer on the back of it, that big piece of equipment. You know, that is scary, you know, that people's lives are on the line when if you mishandle a piece of equipment that big so it is a scary thing but once you face that fear and like i have once i faced that fear and was able to get you know past that and get used to it it was nowhere near as bad as i thought it was going to be and i enjoy it i love driving now um i love driving those trucks so that is something that i would never in a million years thought that i would be doing or like but that also was associated with the fear that i had so once i did it it was not as nearly as bad as I thought it was. So you definitely just have to face your fears, go through it, and in the end, you'll be fine. And one thing I'll say, uh, I'll add on to that um, to finish this question is that, you know, for young people, which this, this podcast is targeting, you know, you, you have the rest of your life, you know, you, now is the time 
to, you know, start facing those fears, taking those risks and what have you. Um, because, you know, somebody can't take those risks or nearly as much as those risks when they're in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. You know, they're, they're, they're well into their, their lifespan. You know, we are so young and a lot of people don't, you know, have those, those, um, those expectations of us that it's like, you know, go out and just try those things. Go, go out and take that risk. Um, because for me, I took that big risk. And it has put me on a path that I never thought I would be at. And, you know, my life has been so much better. It has been growing at a substantial rate because of it. So if I didn't take that risk, if I didn't face that fear, who knows where I would have been. So you really have the rest of your life because we're so young to take those risks. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, it was maybe it wasn't meant to be. You can try again. Just like in my situation, you know, I didn't get the driving job my first time around, but it wasn't the end all be all, you know, I could have went and done something else. I could have quit UPS and find another job, but you know what? I stuck through it. You know, let me try again. You know, you can try as many times as you want to, um, you know, it, it really just all comes down to the individual, but you know, don't just give up, you know, just because it didn't work, just don't give up. You know, you can always keep moving forward. You can always try something else. You can always try again. You can always move forward because you have the rest of your life to do that. Yeah, one quote from uh, Brandon Turner from the Bigger Pockets podcast, the OG podcast. Um, I'll link to that down in the show notes below. But one thing that he said, it was revelational to me. He said, when you're investing and you have a decision to make, it, the decision is determined, how can I put this? I, he put it so elegantly, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but essentially making a decision is more important than the decision. And what he meant by that is, let's say you're faced with an option A or option B, a lot of times what people do is they'll pause and they'll get stuck in what's called analysis paralysis, where you're just trying to get all the information. And because you have all this information coming at you from all these different directions, uh, you get paralyzed and you don't want to make the wrong move. So instead of making the wrong move, you make no move. And it happens a lot with investors. We see it every day when I'm talking to real estate, people who want to get started in real estate, they get stuck in this paralysis where they want to say, should I buy a rental? Should I do a flip? Should I do wholesaling? Should I do this? Should I do section eight housing? Should I do commercial? And the point of the saying is, it doesn't matter what you choose in 20 years. It does not matter. The fact is you chose something and you committed to that choice. And that rang true with me is like, yes, like, if you buy that first investment and it completely flops, the fact that you made the investment puts you ahead of everyone else who's still trying to make the choice. So making, yes, some investments can ruin you, but most of the investments are not going to make you go bankrupt. Meaning you can, just like Jonathan just said, you can make the wrong decision and recover. But I'd much rather you guys make the wrong decisions and recover than to get stuck and not make a decision at all. And to add on that, um, 
you know, even even if you do make the wrong decision or if you think that's the wrong decision or, you know, you have an investment that, you know, fails or you lose money or whatever, um, you know, like, like like he just said, like James just said, it's not, you know, the end, you know, you can still recover, but just take it as a lesson. Um, I feel like that is the whole point of failure. Like when you fail, you learn. Like when something goes wrong, you know, you just, you have to, you know, go back, like recollect and just think, you know, why did, why did this, why did this happen? You know, what, why, what did everything, what, what, why did, why did this result come to be? Um, you know, you just have to go back, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, tra- trace your steps, you know, go backwards, you know. So why did this happen? Was it because of this? Was it because of this? Okay. If it was because of that, you know, maybe then I did this the wrong way. So just, you know, when you fail, you know, just go back, think on it, you know, reflect what you think you did wrong or what you did do wrong. And if you learn, then it wasn't that big of a failure because now the next time you know what to do, you know, not to make those same mistakes and you will have a successful thing or outcome. Absolutely. So, okay, let's go to the inverse of that. If there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to build wealth, what would that be? Hmm. I would say don't be scared to talk to people. Um, don't be afraid to network. Um, your network is your net worth. Um, and the more people you have in your network, um, I don't want to say it's the easier that that journey will be, but, um, you know, it, it's definitely more comforting. Um, when it comes to networking, you know, you never know what someone is doing or what their job is or what they're aspiring to be and what they can be, um, you know, of help to you or you be of help to them. And, you know, there have been plenty of times where I've met people just randomly in the stores, you know, go to Best Buy, go, you know, pick something up real quick. And I would meet, a, I'd meet a feller and he would, you know, Hey, you know, I do, I do it, you know, I do like, you know, like it, um, you know, I do like security, you know, cybersecurity or, you know, there'll be people that do, you know, insurance, you know, like they're, they're, they're in, uh, people that do insurance or whatnot. Um, you'll, you'll meet a whole bunch of people in, in the lifetime and, um, staying connected with them you never know what somebody can do for you in the future um so your network truly is your net worth um and don't and i will say with that you know in mind uh as something to to, you know avoid doing not networking um also don't network with people and be afraid or don't follow up with them you know don't don't talk to somebody you know exchange numbers or business cards or what have you and then never speak to them again. Um, even if they're not, you know, of help to you right now, or you can't do anything for them right now, you know, just, you know, send, send them a text, you know, in, in, in a couple months, you know, two or three months, it's about, hey, like, you know, if you're in town, you know, if, if there's somebody local, you know, would you like to meet up and grab food and, you know, just, you know, talk or, or whatnot. And, um, you know, always, always try and stay connected to these people. Don't just use them when you think it's convenient. Um, because that really does go a long way. A lot of people will try and network with people and, um, you know, they'll, they'll talk to them once, won't talk to them again. And you've basically just lost that connection. That person has no idea who you are. If you try and, you know, text them or give them a call, you know, six months from now or a year from now, they're going to have no clue who you are. They probably don't even have you stored in their contacts anymore. So, um, just keeping up with people, um, 
you know, take them out to lunch or, you know, just, you know, hey, do you mind talking on the phone for an hour? Just, you know, talk about, you know, get to know the person a little bit more and know about their goals and whatnot. You know, if, you know, if something comes along, you know, you know who to go to. Um, one thing that I've learned that um, that I learned from somebody, his name is Max Maxwell on YouTube. He does a lot of wholesaling and he now has, you know, you know, active flips and rentals and, you know, real estate heavy. Um, he tells people, you know, all the time, you know, that when he, when he network, network, networks with people, he says, hey, you know, um, if you know anybody that, that, you know, wants to sell a house, you know, I'm buying. So, you know, if you know, if you know anybody that wants to sell, you know, direct them to me. Um, and he lets everybody know. Um, don't be afraid to let people know what you're doing. Um, I'd say would be another one. Um, he tells people all the time. And, you know, that person, if you keep up with that person, the second that they find somebody or they know someone that wants to sell a house, guess who they're going to call? They're going to call Max because they actively know what he is doing and they're keeping up with that person. So they're going to want to help him like, hey, you know, my aunt wants to sell their house. Uh, you know, Max is always talking about how he wants to buy houses if I know anybody that wants to sell. So he's going to be the first person in line that I go to. Um, so definitely keeping those connections and just letting people know what you do. Don't be afraid to tell people, even if you're not actively doing it right now, just letting people know. For example, I want to buy a house in the next, you know, six, six to six months to a year. So anybody that I come across, I'm going to tell them, hey, I want to buy, buy a house in the next six months to a year. If you know somebody that wants to sell, let me know. And if I keep up with those people, they're going to want to come to me. I'm the first person to know about it. And this, the, the, if you're the first person or, or the, the, the person that, that knows the quickest or, or the first, then you have much more leverage than anybody else. Yeah. And um, just for you guys, just for your own knowledge, I'll go ahead and link Max Maxwell's YouTube down in the show notes below. Um, if you guys want to check that out, but I will just add one thing to what Jonathan said, and he skipped over it really, really quickly, but I do want to emphasize networking is very, very important, but don't be a leech. Don't be a parasite. What do I mean? But what do you mean by that, James? Don't be a leech. I'm saying if you want to learn from someone, if you want to network with someone, don't just look for what value they provide to you. Always be looking for what value you can also provide to them because no one who's successful, yes, some successful people, many successful people do give out knowledge and information. For example, this podcast um, and not expect anything in return. But for example, all the time I see in, I'm a, bar, I'm a part of a bunch of investing, real estate investing Facebook groups, and there's always people asking for, hey, is there any mentors in this area? Or, you know, can I shadow someone in this area? And the first question I always ask them is, what value do you bring to that person? Like, you're, you're, if all you're going to do is consume from someone, then they're going to be less likely to want to give you more and give you more and give you more uh, because time is valuable. So if they're giving you, giving you, giving you all their time and they're not receiving any, any type of value back and you're just, you know, being a parasite or a leech and, and they're getting nothing because let's be honest, like it sounds bad when I'm saying it, but no one wants to work for free. So if they're giving you all this knowledge, they're giving you all this time for for nothing in return, no value, then um, they're going to be less likely to work with you. And I'm not telling you to go out and pay people, but, you know, offering to do things like 
maybe manage their social media or just to let's say they have a Zoom call and you just want to sit in the back and you can write notes for them uh, on, on important topics in the meeting so they can focus on the meeting and not have to write notes. You know, little things like that that are just you giving them your time essentially is what you're doing. Um, it'll, it'll go a long way. And so I just want to touch on that little uh, portion of what he said. Like, yes, it's great to be around and network with people who are doing what you want to do, but, but you should try your best to always um, reciprocate that energy in the best way you can using the strengths you have. Um, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's very, very good. And yeah, I didn't touch up on that too much, but yeah, just to add on that just a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I people that are in these successful positions, they definitely, you're not the only person that's coming to them. You're, you're not the only person that's trying to, you know, get advice from them or learn stuff from them. These people probably have tons and tons and tons of people that either ask them the same questions or want to do the same things as they do. So yeah, you definitely have to put yourself in a position, especially on that first impression of, you know, you, you have to one mean it, when you know you're trying to offer value to them and two you have to act upon it so um yeah definitely definitely do that um like i said these people they probably have tons and tons and tons of people that they come across every single day so you have to make that impression that hey will this guy actually be of value to me um and if you show that to them then they're more likely to want to help you and give that energy back into you and invest into you. And sometimes that's how you even get these mentors. You know, a lot of people have mentors and, you know, they teach them everything they know. They probably started out as somebody that, you know, they just said, Hey, like, you know, they, they come across a guy that's doing a flip. Like, Hey, do you mind if I, you know, take all of this trash for you, clean out, you know, clean out all this trash and in, in, in your flip for you, or, you know, can I do this for you? You know, it, it, it goes a long way. Just adding value. But that leads us to the last question and the hardest question of the podcast. Are you ready, Jonathan? Uh, we'll see what we can come <laughs> up with. If you could ask anyone, dead or alive, one question, who would it be and what would you ask them? This is a really, really tricky one um, because there are a lot of people, dead or alive, that I would love to ask questions to. Um but I would say the first one that comes to mind just right off the back of my head would probably be Paul Walker. Um, oh, and okay. The, okay. And, and the, the reason I would do Paul Walker is because um, I am a huge car guy. I love cars. Um, obviously fast and the furious is a you know great series um, up until the last couple ones are probably debatable. Um, but um knowing Paul Walker or, you know, just watching interviews and stuff about him, he is genuinely, he has a genuine passion for cars and the car scene. Um, so I, I don't think there would be one specific question I would ask him, but I would definitely like to just pick his brain about like his passion for cars. Cause he, he is a big idol to me, especially with the series and just him being, you know, in love with cars in general. Um, I would definitely just try and pick his brain or just, you know, I'd probably ask if I could probably spend the day with him or something and just, you know, <laughs> see, see, see like how, how he does things and, you know, st st stuff of that nature. But, I'll uh, take that. I'll, I'll take that. Him. 
It's, it's hard to always narrow it down to one question, honestly, especially. Yeah. When, yeah. Cause, yeah. cause I'm, yeah. And I, th- there are so many people that, you know, uh, cars are not my only hobby. You know, there are a lot of other hobbies that I'm in. So, you know, there are a lot of other people that, you know, I would love to ask a question about a specific hobby. Um, so I, I would say that one, just because it's the first one that came off the top of my head. Yeah, I'll definitely accept that. Well, to conclude the, do- oh God. <laughs> to conclude the show, Jonathan, where can people find out more about you or get in contact with you if they have any information or any um, questions about anything you discussed on the show? Yeah, so um, I don't really post on my social medias uh, that much, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, but if you do want to contact me, um, I, I I am on them. I just don't post that much. Um my Instagram is John Sledgen. So it is J O H N S L E D G E N D. Um, that is also the same on my Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to talk to me about, you know, anything investment wise or anything about, you know, driving, you know, semi trucks or UPS or whatever, um, you could definitely feel free to just message me on those two platforms. Um, one thing that um, I'll just add on to that, um, you know, the thing that I love about this podcast, like I said earlier, is that, you know, we are all people that are going through this journey together. You know, we we are people that we're not too far from where everybody else is at in their, you know, everyday lives. Um, we're just regular people that we all have a common goal and we're all making different sacrifices to get to that. Um, so like I said earlier, it is much more relatable to ask questions or, you know, talk or listen to the podcast or talk to people that are almost in your shoes, you know, very similar than to people that are already in that very, very successful, you know, um, position. So um, with that being said, you know, anybody that wants to message me and just talk, you know, about anything, it doesn't have to be investments, it can be anything, you know, it could be life, you know, what have you, um, my DMS and everything are open. Um, you know, part of this journey, which where we want to get to is we want to help people. Um, like I said, I, I don't care if I know you or if I don't know you, you know, if you want that for you, if you want that financial freedom or that peace for you, or if you have those same goals, then I am more than happy to, you know, give you whatever advice I have, and you know James as well that's why he's making this podcast that's why you know we're here on this podcast together is that we all have different journeys but we all want to get to the same destination so we have no problem helping each other in anything advice talking what what have you so um don't be afraid to you know it doesn't have to be me it doesn't have to be James, but don't be afraid if you have those people that you can talk to about these things or you want to talk about these things, don't be afraid to ask. Um, this journey is definitely a difficult one. It is definitely one that, you know, the majority of people our age don't want to talk about. You know, if you talk finances or talk investing or the future, a lot of people don't want to hear it. They just want to talk about the now, what their plans are for this weekend. So it is hard to talk about, you know, real estate or investing or financial freedom with other people. Um, you know, the only person that I really talk to with is, is James. And that's because, you know, that's what we're both into. That's what we both like to talk about 24 seven. 
um, and even my coworkers at work, you know, I'll be on the phone with them in a group call and we're all talking about investments. We're all talking about, you know, finances and whatnot. That's just because that's what we like to do. But it is hard to find that group of people. So don't be afraid to, you know, try and talk to either one of us or somebody that you that you can talk to or want to talk to. Um, just, you know, it is a rough journey, but the more people you have in your circle, the better it is. Um, like I said, the more emotionally and mentally, you know, it, it'll comfort your mind. Um, so just don't be afraid. Um, you, anybody can message me and talk about anything and I'll be more than happy to, you know, answer or just, you know, speak on a topic. I have absolutely nothing to add to that. It's just so elegantly put, man. I really appreciate you taking out the time to speak with me today, man. This was a long one. This one ran a little bit long, but I really appreciate you taking the time to just tell your story and and maybe if, if there's at least one person out there that took something from that can relate to you and took something from it and if it inspires them, then then I think this was well worth it. Um, I will be linking to Jonathan's Instagram and Twitter in the show notes below. So make sure you guys check that out. But we're going to go ahead and get up out of here, Jonathan. I really appreciate you recording with me today, man. And I hope yeah, thank the best for you. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. And hopefully we could do more episodes together. I, If you ever want me to come back, I have no problem coming back. This, I think, and genuinely speaking from the heart, I really think that this is a podcast that, like I said, is a lot more relatable to people. Um, you know, you're seeing our journeys. I, I would love to, you know, maybe in the future, come back and just do an update, you know, podcast on just, you know, how my life has been from now until then. Um, you know, it's, it's not a race, you know, it's, it's just a marathon. We're all at our own pace. And, um, you know, I really think that this is something that the people our age really need to hear and they can relate to. So, um, yeah, I would love to come back again in the future. And you will, man. I really appreciate it. Talk to you later. All righty. Thank you for having me. And that concludes my interview with my dear friend, Jonathan Bettencourt. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. And I really hope you guys picked up some of those bangers he was dropping throughout the interview. I mean, he said some really true things and his mindset on his career and his growth in the future. He has such an optimism to him that it really... You know, it makes me want to be better and he it makes me want to experience delayed gratification because he's definitely, definitely, definitely building a really strong future for himself and his family going forward. But without further ado, guys, I'm James. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys. Even if my jokes turn funny, my tongue tied up on it, then I don't need to speak.